On December 9, 1979, R.L. Adair's interview with the Dallas Morning News was posted in the local section of the paper. His interview focused on his reaction to the growing LGBTQ population in Oaklawn, where his country western bar, Adair's Bar & Grill, was located. While most of the other businesses' reactions were fairly positive due to the number of gay business owners already located in the area, Adair was not as accepting. This whole damn place is going to hell. If it ain't the whores, it's the queers. They've tried to buy up every piece of property around here and turn this into a queer community. But I don't intend to let this place become a queer community. I run a redneck bar and joint, and that's all I want in here. Funnily enough for Mr. Adair, he was eventually forced to move shop. Now where his bar used to stand is located on the same street where the famous Rainbow Crossroads resides in Oak Lawn. Adair's Bar and Grill closed down on Saturday, August 17, 1982, almost three years after his initial statement. This Week in Texas, or TWIT for short, mentions that due to the eradication of Section 2106 of the Texas Penal Code, the law that criminalized sodomy, was the sole cause of their closure. The new owners of the bar were Charlie Hott and Frank Cavan. Frank is the founder of Cavan Enterprises, which now runs four popular bars in Oakland, Sue Ellen's, JR's, The Mining Company, and Station 4. Our classmates will touch more on these bars in future episodes, highlighting Sue Ellen's in its own episode. In January of 1983, under a new name, Adair Saloon had a grand opening on Commerce Street in Deep Ellum, another neighborhood of Dallas, where it still stands today. Unlike this hateful country western bar that was essentially booted from the block, a couple of years later, a shiny, new, gay country western bar would start to help change the scene of Oaklawn. That bar is now known as the Roundup Saloon. From the University of North Texas in Denton, I'm Brianna Affman. I'm Rachel Matthews. And I'm Veronica Reyes. And this is Out in Oaklawn, A Queer History of Dallas a podcast about the largest neighborhood in Texas. In this episode, we will explore how cowboy culture and queer culture have come to a crossroads in Oakland and beyond. The Roundup Saloon has been a part of the Dallas gay scene since July 11, 1980. We had the opportunity to sit down with current owners, Gary Miller and Alan Pierce, and their son Kevin, who runs the saloon. Gary and Alan purchased the Roundup Saloon in May 1989 from the previous owner, Tom Sweeney. When we stepped into the bar to meet up with Gary and Alan, the saloon had been completely taken over by jaw-dropping, neon-jungle-themed Halloween decorations. But traces of the Roundup's country-western roots remained. Luke Bryan's That's My Kind of Night was playing over the saloon's speakers, the beautiful, real wood country western dance floor remained untouched by the jungle, and two older gentlemen were doing a classic Texas two-step under the disco ball hanging over the dance floor. Unfortunately, Alan could not meet us in person for our interview, but we were lucky enough to have him join us on the phone. The uh, started out as the Magnolia Disco, which is our corporate name still, and Gary, how, how, maybe one year of that? About one, two years, yeah. And he switched over to a, a Western bar. <laughs> Quite a change. <laughs> but I think in your discussions with me, you mentioned that it was at one time the old Warsaw, right? Oh, yeah. Before Historically, it was the old Warsaw yeah. restaurant. Yeah. And it dates back even further than that. Uh, I think when the building burned down, they found all this phone wire in the attic. 
So they think the place might have been a bookie joint. <laughs> oh, my God. In the seedy days of Cedar Springs, you know, probably in the 30s, 40s. From all appearances, the Roundup is just your average Texas country western bar. Other than the slideshows of nearly naked men and scantily dressed bartenders in cowboy hats and blue jeans, the dance floor is the center of the bar, surrounded by what looks like old farm fencing, the kind where an X rests between two points. The bars that surround the dance floor all have clever country-sounding names like the Lone Star Bar or the Horseshoe Bar, or my personal favorite, the Corral Bar. There is plenty of seating around the saloon to watch the dance floor and enjoy a nice cold drink. It's been the aim of the bar for years to be a place where people can kick back and enjoy some good country fun. One of the phrases that Dad always uses in the business is when they first opened, this was a club for men and their friends. Mm -hmm. I was going to get into that. (laughs) I think we need to start there. Perfect. I'd love to. Wherever you want to start. That was my thinking in the beginning, a club for men and their friends. That included women, kind of. (laughs) But we we promoted as a... Historically, men and gay men and gay ladies, lesbians, did not socialize in those days, and they had their own bars. While nowadays the Roundup Saloon is known to be open to people of all gender identities, it was not always that way. In the mid-1980s, the saloon insisted on implementing a dress code for its customers that seemed to discriminate against its lesbian patrons. In a letter to former owner Tom Sweeney, Don Baker, a famous Dallas-based gay activist, criticized the saloon's dress code, saying in a letter, quote, I believe your new dress code policies have many negative effects. First of all, I personally believe that the policy overall discriminates against gay women. To be fair, you should insist that gay male couples either wear dress slacks or shirts with ties. This, I believe, is more equitable than requiring women to wear dresses in your bar and allowing men to wear jeans. It just doesn't seem fair. Alan told us about the current state of the dress code policy for the saloon. The, the way that our customers used to dress, and it, it changed for the customers, but we've, Gary and I have tried to make sure that it never changed for our employees. They always wear boots Wranglers and Western shirts and hats behind the bar. We maintain the image, whether our customers do or not. And I hope still that way. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it stays that way. <laughs> so uh, that's that's just our image, and we don't intend to change that. I think that's it's, what it, people expect to see when they come in the Roundup Saloon. They want to experience that ca- gay cowboy. That's one of the things that makes the Roundup so special, their uncompromising dedication to the fact that above all else, they are a country western bar who just happen to have a quite sizable gay clientele. You won't hear Katy Perry or Drake when you step into the Roundup. We've had a lot of recommendations by customers and staff to play dance music all night. But, and, I, and I tell them that's not who we are. We, we, we will play country music most every night, uh, especially early. Now, at midnight or 12.30, we turn on some dance music for an hour, hour and a half, but that's a cultural thing for us that we've done for 40 years probably, maybe, you know, maybe longer, but it's always country music. So, you know, when you walk in on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's going to be country. 
you know, see country, look country. And I think that's what, uh, you know, most country bars that are still left present. And, and we get a ton of tourists here, of course, coming to Dallas. That's what they come to see and hear because they've heard about it. There are hundreds of uniquely themed gay bars around the country, like the chapel at the Abbey in Los Angeles, California, who holds a Sunday service drag brunch, or the English Ivy in Illinois, who seem to be a gay English pub. The Roundup Saloon doesn't feel like it's putting on a costume to attract tourists, who just want to see a stereotypical Texas bar. It's in the very nature of the building to house this kind of nightlife. A tragedy struck the Roundup Saloon. KXAS news station covered the tragic events that took place in February of 1989. The skies lit up before dawn this morning, and more than 100 firefighters from 17 stations citywide were battling flames. On the gutted list, the Roundup Saloon, Tate Lenders Video Outlet, Union Jack, and the AIDS Resource Center. Fire officials say the latter two had signs that someone had been through here, robbed the businesses, and torched the place to cover their tracks. Alan told us more about the impact of the fire on the Roundup Saloon in particular. It was the worst thing and the best thing that ever happened to this. <laughs> yes, yes. The roof leaked, foundation was horrible. Just an all wood building, so it was something of a fire trap. So, I think it's important to note that the fire actually didn't start here, though. It was set intentionally next door at the resource center. Yes, it was a robbery, and that's how they covered up here. It was a robbery. Someone was looking for their medical records. In the early days of computers, they had a lot of computers there in the resource center, and they were stealing computers and set fire to the building, is the way I remember it. But right, and the uh, fire spread throughout the strip. Yeah. The fire got into the that attic. <laughs> it had a double ceiling. Uh, yeah. So the uh, big enclosed attic up there, and then once the flames got into there, the fire department just said, they just kind of shut down and just walked away and let it burn because they couldn't, they couldn't put it out at that point. Gary and Alan will be the first ones to acknowledge how terrible the fire was, but they seem to view it more like a rebirth, a phoenix rising from the ashes. The beauty of it, I mean, it was horrible at the time, but it's probably the best thing that ever happened because we got a great new facility on the same location. As one leader in Dallas's gay community put it, they may burn us down, but they can't keep us down. The Roundup Saloon has been a part of the Oakland community for over 40 years. They've noticed a considerable shift in the age and demographics that frequent the Roundup. In 2000, I bartended here in 2000, 1999 to 2000 and 2001. And it, even then it was very, you know, there were women coming in here, but there were more men, more Western hats, starched shirts, starched jeans, starched brooks, very traditional Western that I grew up in eighty, you know, eighties, nineties, and today, know the look. <clears throat> and I left, and then having come back, it has changed to where uh, the cowboy hats are gone, but the Western flair is there. Uh, Western shirts and jeans, more stylish boots, more more fancy jeans. <laughs> uh, but I mean, Wranglers was the only place you could get rain, you know, western cut jeans now. 
everything. If you put some studs on it or some you know, rhinestones on it and <laughs> throw some boots out there that sparkle, then it's Western. And that's a, that's a change to where I've seen, you know. And then uh, I would say even our Latino culture has contributed to that uh, younger vibe. What used to be reserved for ranch hands and cowpokes is now considered fancy club wear. Though I'm sure there's much less glitter and rhinestone on the cowboy's chaps than you can observe on a night in the roundup. More and more queer individuals are starting to become drawn into the country western aesthetic. Why? To many on the outside, this aesthetic and the people who reflect it seem to be the antithesis of what the LGBTQ community stands for. Hateful protesters at pride events with signs proclaiming their disdain for the community. Nasty comments left under social media posts promoting queer love. But as time passes, these people are largely in the majority. There's something comforting rooted in Texas culture that makes people feel at ease. A warm howdy from the bartender. Songs about loving someone. About being free being played over the speaker. So take a seat. Prop your boots up. And watch some people dance. Just forget about your troubles for a while and enjoy some good conversation with a stranger. To me, that's what draws LGBTQ individuals to the country western aesthetic. The comfort of being allowed to be who you want to be, even if it's just for a few hours. Not to mention, everyone looks great in a cowboy hat. You're right, partner. Everybody looks great in a cowboy hat. But who brought the cowboy hats over? Vaqueros, or should I say the original cowboys of Texas. When talking about Texas and cowboy culture, we tend to picture the classic cowboy hat, blue jeans, button-down sleeve, and some boots. The aesthetic for cowboys will continue to change and fluctuate within each community as time goes on. But have you ever thought of where it came from at all? I'd like to commemorate the influence Mexican culture has had on the cowboy culture itself in Texas. We can trace back to colonial times for the style and see the cultures meshing together to create vaqueros and cowboys. Although the earliest vaqueros were indigenous Mexican males, classic westerns have solidified the stereotype of cowboys as white Americans. The missionaries sprang from writing this culture in Europe. They were skilled writers and livestock catchers. Consequently, they began to train the locals. Native Mexicans used their knowledge of writing and buffalo hunting to further develop vaquero methods. Over time, it is only normal to have other cultures and minorities take the aesthetic and make it their own. The gay community has shown great interest in it, and we certainly can't forget there are queer Mexicans as well in the mix. While there are many Latino clubs in Dallas, a particular club named Reales caught my interest in this topic. Club Los Rieles is located east of Dallas in what I would say is a secluded area of town. The club opens at 9 p.m. and closes at 4 a.m. Now that's my type of party, y'all. Club Los Rieles has people dressed up and ready to dance the night away once a week on Saturday nights. My experience at this venue consisted of live music from bands performing Norteña and Cumbia music and the customers in full vaquero wear from head to toe. The crowd was fun and friendly, and overall, a great experience for someone in the Latino queer community, or not. I could not find any article or material on this club, and hopped on the first opportunity for an interview with the owner and manager of this place. This would be an exclusive and amazing opportunity to hear answers to questions like, 
Even though you only open once a week, in your own words, what is real is offered to your customers. What personal adjustments have you seen done to the vaquero look by being gay? Have you seen non-Hispanic customers here too? And if so, what do you think attracts them? Is it the aesthetic? Is it the music? Regretfully, I was unable to schedule an interview with Claudio Rieles. While I made several phone calls, emails, and texts, I was unsuccessful in setting up an interview. In the brief interaction I had with a staff member, they assured me that they were very busy and that they would be in touch with me for an interview later in the week when I called. Nevertheless, I was unable to speak with the owner, so I tried speaking with a few customers instead. Unfortunately for me, I decided to interview on the busiest night of Club Lurelis, Halloween. As you imagine, not everyone was too excited to see a little Mexican girl with a phone and headphones outside the entrance, gesturing for them to come over. I offered money, shots, and even my cute eye candy boyfriend, but it seemed nobody wanted to waste a minute on the most fun night of the year. After a handful of rejections, I gazed at the cowboy liquor shop across from the venue, and I thought, our time is up here, partner. Curiosity was calling, and Reles was just 10 minutes away from Oakland. I decided to walk down the block of bars and clubs and meet up with several local regulars to gain some diverse viewpoints. I was lucky enough to run into Miguel inside of Havana. He agreed to talk to us for an interview. I asked him why he thought you see so many vaqueros in the Latino community. Um, personally, I feel like my Hispanic culture leads us to be, I don't know, more prideful in what we wear. So I just, I don't know, I'd like to, I like to dress vaquero attire from time to time, depending on the mood or, you know, the vibe. When talking to Miguel, I wanted to get more into personal details and ask if this was a normal aesthetic growing up, as it is very common in the culture to see it as a daily wear. My family is Mexican, so my dad was very um, into that vaquero style. And I did see it a lot growing up in my family, a lot with my dad's side of the family so i would say that yes i grew up with it i asked him if there was a distinct vibe to the appearance did he think they were more cheerful more energetic did they bring out something in people when they're around them i mean yeah i feel like um a lot of the mexican culture is very um vibrant and happy very um lively so i feel like that does tie a lot into our culture, so it can be very um, happy, live, I don't know, very uh, genuine, as in how we all just get together and have, I don't know, a good time. So I feel like it does. After seeing a lot of Western wear that night, talking to Miguel and walking around the block admiring the community, I could feel the description Miguel gave me about the Latino community and how diverse the neighborhood in general was. I saw all walks of life enjoying and partying it up on a normal weekend. Before heading out, I asked Miguel if he thought we as a community had impacted the influence of cowboys and Western culture. Obviously, there are LGBTQ vaqueros and, you know, LGBTQ cowboys, so for sure that we do impact in some way. I feel like 
even as people express themselves, they like to express themselves with their um, colors and their um, prideful showings. So yeah, I feel like it really brings the community together as in like we are the same. Down the street from Havana was the packed and exciting round of saloon. I was fortunate enough to get Isaiah as a regular as of recently to give me his opinion on this. I asked him if he had ever heard of vaqueros. What influence had he seen around in his life? Um, well, my boyfriend and um, his fa- his father, they, they dress like that. Um, I don't dress like that too often. I'm kind of barely getting into it uh, because of him. And... I would say, I mean, I've I've just knew about it from school, which it's been a minute, but that's a that's okay. I wondered if Isaiah had grown up with the aesthetic in his family, or if his boyfriend had influenced him. What other personal impacts did Isaiah have besides his boyfriend? Um, maybe my bestie. That's about it. Um, I'm fourth gen, so not really. I'm a little, I'm a little what you call whitewashed. So learning Spanish. By hearing Isaiah mention he was fourth-generation Mexican, I was amazed to see that the style of the vaquero is still loved and appreciated, even when his identity might still be a personal journey for him. Nevertheless, it was his own, and he had a very cute personal touches to his outfit that night. Um, so I bedazzled my cowboy hat um, that I got from the pulga, and I also went ahead and um, put some stars and um what do you call them patterns yes and um sorry i'm a little drunk no Uh, worries no worries i put them on my pants um i'm in the move process of making some moves to get some chaps and i'm gonna put some rhinestones on those as well to kind of make a whole fit you know try to bring it all together I then asked Isaiah if it was common to see personal touches be done to the cowboy look here at the Roundup Saloon. Yes, I've seen a lot of people bring um, different colored shirts, um, some ribbons, you know, tied off of their shirt. Um, They even kind of rip their shirts, their jeans. Um, I've seen people uh, paint their boots and, you know, just make it their own, put their names or put, um, you know, pride flags and things like that. Isaiah couldn't be more right. The Roundup Saloon was filled with the cowboy aesthetic from head to toe, and the dancers themselves wore custom cowboy hats while entertaining around the venue. Companies like Havana and the Roundup Saloon are excellent illustrations of the Mexican influence brought about by vaqueros. Wearing cowboy clothes, the Roundup Saloon is well known for its lively western atmosphere and visitors. Havana is a well-known Latino club that features a wide variety of music, including cumbias and reggaeton. Whether we perceive it or not, the influence of the vaquero is still very much present in Texas. It's fascinating to see how people from all origins, genders, and cultures have adopted the cowboy and western look and incorporated into their life, even though this is only a small portion of the queer effect on western or Texas attire. Oakland is a prime example of such and supports it with a variety of resources, businesses, and nightlife.
As we've seen, the ways of the cowboy have been a huge sense of identity for those in the Oaklawn area, with the Roundup Saloon being arguably the most famous bar on the block. There seems to be this resurgence of cowboy culture within the queer community, and it's interesting to see how even influencers are taking this aesthetic and running with it. For example, the winner of Season 3 of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, Trixie Mattel recently came out with Horse Girl, an eyeshadow palette under her brand Trixie Cosmetics, that uses eyeshadow names like Giddy Up and Cult Classic, playing off of that western aesthetic. Trixie Mattel is a drag queen from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who uses motifs from the 50s, specifically Barbie, hence the last name Mattel. We've also seen Trixie use the cowboy aesthetic for her country albums in a suite in her new Trixie motel named Yeehaw Cowgirl, located in Palm Springs, California, an iconic American gay hotspot. Her music video for Mama Don't Make Me Put On The Dress Again takes place in what seems to be a country and western gay bar, similar to that of the Roundup Saloon. Mama don't make me put on the dress again I can't stand the way it opens when I spin Tyler Childers, a folk country artist, recently came out with a queer-coded single, In Your Love. Long enough to find what we were chasing after I believe I found it here In your love Childers is said to have written the song about his first cousin, who he describes as like his brother. The music video follows two coal miners in the 1950s who fall in love with one another while living in Appalachia. The two run away with one another, not flocking to the city, how many stories are told, but rather flocking to the country to start a family. The writer of the music video, Silas House, is the first openly gay poet laureate of Kentucky. He described the idea behind the music video to Rolling Stone in August of this year. It's very rare to see LGBT people portrayed in a rural place. The idea is that most LGBT people escape or have to go to the city. And that is true for a lot of people. We have historically sought the safety of cities, their strength in numbers. But there are also lots and lots of LGBTQ people who live in rural places, and who live in the South, and who live in Appalachia. Another example is Lil Nas X, a black gay rapper who broke into fame with his country rap single, Old Town Road. In the music video, Lil Nas wears western clothing and rides a horse down a modern-day street where people stare at him. But towards the end of the music video, he is seen in a rhinestone cowboy attire with an intricately designed jacket with fringes on the arms. Although the song is not queer itself, the music video definitely portrays a different perspective of the typical cowboy aesthetic and proves that queer people of color belong in country music. In fact, queer people and rhinestone cowboys have a lot more in common with each other than you might think. The term was popularized with the song Rhinestone Cowboy by Glenn Campbell, a famous country singer from Arkansas. The song describes the feeling of someone who dreams of living in the high life while simultaneously struggling to make ends meet. A rhinestone cowboy is someone who lives in glamour and fame, someone who is a successful performer and entertainer, someone who people want to be. You could easily take that same definition and apply it to drag queens, individuals that all queer people know and love. In a way, just how country music glorifies the so-called Old West's mottos or American dream of pulling yourself up from your bootstraps, drag queens do exactly that. If you watch one episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, you can see just how glamorous these queens are, 
making their own costumes out of almost nothing, not forgetting to use plenty of rhinestones along the way, creating this new, interesting persona for themselves, and dazzling like a shiny new spur in front of the crowd. Speaking of other personas, another country music artist who takes the cowboy culture very seriously, even though he is from South Africa, is Orville Peck. Orville is the cowboy musician persona of a gay man named Daniel Pateau, who currently has two country albums out, Pony and Bronco. When you see Peck, he is usually masked with a cowboy hat and dressed in either western attire or leather. Orville described how his cowboy persona collides with the queer community in an interview with NPR in 2022. People might think that country music or the image of the cowboy is sort of like, you know, cis, straight, white, American kind of world. But the cowboy, as just just in reality, you know, we there's a lot more talked about now that, you know, obviously like a lot of the first cowboys were actually not white. A lot of them were black. And mm-hmm. most of cowboy aesthetic, the the look and everything, a lot of that is drawn from you know, like uh, Latin culture and Mexican fashion and Mexican, you know, heritage too. And there's something really liberating and freeing about realizing that that sort of rebellious outsider power can kind of be taken on by anybody uh, and assumed by anyone. And, you know, it's kind of like the spirit of the cowboy can live within anybody. I don't think you have to be, you know... Like, you know, herding cattle in order to be a cowboy. <laughs> There's sort of like a more of an, a profound ethos of a cowboy as well that seems to be catching on to, I suppose, more outsiders these days, people who feel on the outside. I mean, that's definitely, when I was little, I grew up attached to the imagery because of that reason. It's really important that Pet gives credit here to influences that Mexican culture had on cowboy attire and style. As we touched on a bit earlier, when you think of cowboys, you think of these people who wear jeans and button-ups with the signature cowboy boots, and when you think of how gay culture and cowboys intersect, you probably think of the cult classic film Brokeback Mountain, with actors Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. In this movie, Gyllenhaal and Ledger are both cowboys, contracted to work on a farm in Wyoming. After heavily drinking, both men decide to hook up together inside of their tent, beginning this 20-year strenuous relationship with one another. Gyllenhaal's character is living in Texas, while Ledger's character stays in Wyoming. The music at the beginning of this episode is actually Cowboys Are Frequently Secretly Fond of Each Other, by Willie Nelson. But there almost doesn't seem to be space given in film or media to the original Cowboys, the Vaqueros, at least not until Spanish movie writer and director Pedro Almodovar released Strange Way of Life, with Pedro Pascal playing Silva and Ethan Hawke playing Jake. In this short film, Pedro Pascal's character is portrayed to be of Mexican descent and the owner of a ranch. I think it's pretty easy to assume here that Silva is supposed to portray a vaquero. Ethan Hawke's character is portrayed as a typical western small-town sheriff that we see in classic western films. This movie definitely feels like an old western, and we see hints of cowboy culture sprinkled into the short film with the typical cowboy hats, a special red hanky that belonged to Silva that Jake kept for 25 years, and a flashback of a trip to Mexico that led to the pair's first steamy exchange. The setting of this entire short film is actually in what seems to be a current-day ghost town of Bitter Creek, Texas. Although not directly related to Oaklawn, all the country-inspired influencers and artists almost always manage to find their way back to Texas.
Texans have always shared a sense of identity with Cowboys, especially those who live in Dallas. I mean, take a look at the national football team for the area. The Cowboys dominate the entire DFW Metroplex with ads as far as the eye can see. Texas wouldn't be Texas without some kind of mention of a cowboy. So it would only make sense that the queer people of the state would also share that same identity. From the Roundup Saloon being the crossroads of queer cowboys, to the vaqueros who we thank for bringing cowboy culture to Texas, this state is big enough for all of us. For the influencers repurposing cowboy culture, I think it's definitely safe to say that there is room for them too. Next time you find yourself in the Lone Star State, make sure you grab your cowboy boots and hat, and come on down to Oakland, where the cowboy experience is like no other. In the next episode, we will be exploring more about the businesses of Oakland. Grab your partner and strap in while our classmates Morgan and Delaney present Proudly Open for Business. Out in Oakland is an undergraduate student-led project funded by the Department of History at the University of North Texas. This episode was researched and produced by Brianna Affman, Rachel Matthews, and Veronica Reyes. Special thanks to our professor, Dr. Wesley Phelps, the UNT Library Special Collections Department, the Dallas Way, the Portal to Texas History, and the community members of Oakland. Thanks also to Alan, Gary, and Kevin from the Roundup Saloon, and Miguel and Isaiah for their insight into the crossroads of queer and cowboy culture. Our theme music was composed by Alexi Action. Additional music in this episode was composed by Julius H. and Musica Sensational. You can find more episodes and research notes at our website, outinoaklawn.podbean.com.